Welcome to the Dark Zone, an adventure racing podcast. When you start adventure racing and you start and have a chance to, you know, you can travel all over the world. I've been into places that I can't even say what they are today. I don't know where they are, but but I I got to go to them. And Marshall Ulrich and I, we, man, we get on a train or a, fly, a plane and go to some place and don't even know where we are when we get there and you know it's just it's a great sport for it's just for that reason and all it's a it, you get to go everywhere and and you learn a lot and man it's just great okay you people sit tight hold the fort and keep the home fires burning and if we're not back by dawn call the president you're going the wrong way what Welcome to the Dark Zone. This is your host, Brian Gatins. Episode number 65 coming at you. Today we're joined by Travis and Mark Mace Macy, father and son adventure racers. Mace is one of the original adventure racers all the way back to the first Eco Challenge. His son Travis is as distinguished as dad, adventure racer, lecturer, author, motivational speaker. Travis talks about his book, A Mile at a Time, a father and son's inspiring Alzheimer's journey of love, adventure, and hope. We are delighted that they joined us today. It is a wonderful episode filled with advice and stories and a lot there for the new eraser. We're grateful for their time and we're grateful that you are here today to join us on The Dark Zone. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Before we get into the episode, I'd like to thank VJ Shoes for sponsoring the show. VJs have made quite the splash on the AR scene thanks to their grippy soles, lightweight, and how quickly they drain water. If you're in the market for a new way to treat your feet right, check them out. Listeners of The Dark Zone can go to vjshoesusa.com slash the-dark-zone and enter the code DARKZONE20, all one word, for a $20 discount on your purchase. Thank you to VJ for supporting Adventure Racing, and that link will be in the show notes. I'd like to also mention The Dark Zone's charity partner, Send Athletics. We are proud to support their mission to empower young women through mountaineering-based leadership training and community service. All of our listeners are encouraged to visit AscendAthletics.org to learn more about Ascend and their work in helping to develop leadership and resiliency in young women in Pakistan and Afghanistan through fitness, mental health, community service, and mountaineering. Please note that Ascend pays nothing for this mention. We just love the work that they do and are happy to spread the word. Be sure to check out their website for some upcoming activities that anyone can get involved in. Now sit back and relax and enjoy Travis and Mace Macy. My first question is we kind of talk about it. I had a chance to read the book. It sounds like the book is two things at the same time. One, it's, it's, it's a love letter to each other about how much you mean to each other. But also it's talking about how you and your family and uh, everyone is managing the Alzheimer's diagnosis. That was my two big takeaways. A lot of adventure racing. We'll get to that mm -hmm. in a second. But yeah. um, that was my first impression upon finishing the book. That That's what it really was about. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. You know, it'll be about different things for for different readers. Ho hopefully, you know, the um, it's hard to like uh, make any money on a on a book or sell you know a million of them. Who knows? You you might you might not. But um, the core motivation has got to be to help other people, and so um, you know that's that's what we hope that it'll help people maybe who are navigating an Alzheimer's journey. You know, that might be similar to ours or might look a lot different, and also just help people who are going through other hard stuff, uh, you know, and, and one of the things that we all love about adventure racing, you know, and who's listening to this is you do hard things uh, by choice. So maybe it'll help you with those. And, and hopefully even more, it'll help you with the hard things that we don't have 
uh, a choice in, you know, and, and obviously it'll, the audience will know that's a big reason to do adventure racing as well is because it prepares you for those other things in life. And, and yeah, I gotta say, Brian, man, thanks for having us. It's, it's awesome. Like, you know, to be on a podcast about adventure racing, you know, our favorite sport. And, uh, I, uh, I, tr- I started an adventure racing podcast in, um, 2006 and we, we were like, I mean, this is like before podcast even existed but me and this guy fred Alberoa, uh fred if you're out there listening man shout out we've lost touch <laughs> here almost 20 years later but like i was the host and he was the producer i don't even know how the hell you produced a podcast then you know streaming didn't exist i don't know i don't know how we did it but we had a website and uh, I, man we probably I'm trying to think how many episodes we did. I don't know, 20, 30, something like that. But, it, you know, kind of like this, like adventure racing talk. And, and uh, you know, I even like brought my little MP3 recorder, I think it was, to some races, you know, and recorded people during races. And, uh, you know, sometimes like, man, I wish I would have kept doing that. But uh, anyway, I took a break from podcasting there for yeah, you <laughs> almost had, you 20 had, years before getting back to going it. On. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but anyway, I'm just, I'm so glad you're doing it. And I mean, dad and I are just honored to be here, you know, with the, with the community. You brought up a good point before how adventure racing informs your life and then your life informs adventure racing. Those two, mm-hmm. like the Venn diagram kind of connects over that, right? And, and your book was is chock full of all of that about adjusting to challenges, recognizing what things are. Um, but I love the fact that the root of it is all about adventure racing. What was your earliest memory of your first adventure race that you did? When you go back in the day, how did it start off for you? Oh, man. First... Um... Uh, yeah, I mean, like you hinted at, Brian, I, I kind of grew up around this stuff. You know, uh, dad did that level 100 in 1988. I was five years old. So, you know, lots of memories from that. And then meeting Marshall Ulrich, you know, probably five or six years later, Marsh was doing bad water and he had his, he didn't have toenails. And, you know, this is prior to the to Eco Challenge starting. And and then uh, dad Marsh kind of started doing those Eco Challenges beginning in Utah in 95. So I was still a, you know, a teenager and I was watching him on TV and stuff and figured I'd get into it at some point in time. Um, and then my first adventure race would have been after my sophomore year in college. So it was 2003. I had run, um, on the, on the varsity track and cross country team at CU Boulder, uh, for two years and, and kind of made the hard decision that like this, uh, I wanted to do other stuff. All I was doing was running and, and I've kind of realized like part of my personality, I just, I like, I like variety. I like different sports. I like changing it up. I like, uh, you know, just running. It wasn't really working for me. So, um, it, you know, I always kind of thought in my mind, like, I'll get into adventure racing at some point in time. And, you know, it sort of turned out that summer is like, okay, and now, now I have some freedom. And so me and my buddy, Mark Fallender, you know, we were both, um, we, I guess we would have been 20, probably we signed up for this, um, it was either a 24 or maybe 36 hour race, uh, in, in Utah, like right on the Wasatch front, we started kind of somewhere North of, um, of Salt Lake city. And, you know, it was, it was an awesome race. It had the full on, uh, you know, you know, all the usual disciplines. We started out paddling in this, um, it wasn't the great salt lake, but it was another lake there that it was really shallow and really salty. And it's a good thing it was shallow because we were like so bad at paddling this, this two person sit on top kayak. We couldn't even keep it going straight. Like we were, we were turning around, you know, and we couldn't navigate the wind. I mean, we were just terrible. And it, this whole lake, it was only like three or four feet deep. So we ended up like a lot of it. We were literally <laughs> out of the boat, like pushing it through the water. And, uh, you know, this paddle, uh, you were just talking about, you know, starting the race in Scotland with a seven hour paddle or whatever. I mean, it felt like we were out there forever and ever. Like we definitely, it was longer than our total paddle lifetime training. Right. <laughs> um, so in, in one day you did longer. Than exactly. Yeah. Before. I don't know. You know, I, who knows three, four or five hours or whatever, but we were like way, I mean, like everyone was gone and um, you know, but we made it through and we were young and we were strong and fit. So we, you know, you start biking and running and, you know, passing people and stuff and and we ended up um like we we passed everyone except for for like a you know pretty good kind of sponsored team i think they were called 
um, like maybe it was Solomon EMS at the time or sure. something. And it yeah. was, it was, uh, Adam chase, you know, another old name from adventure racing who, who lived in Boulder. And at the time he was probably mid thirties or something. And so we kind of became friends and I started racing with those guys and, you know, on and on, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it was, uh, you know, that thing was hard and, and long, like they all are. And we got to this aid station in the middle of the night and these, I don't know if they're volunteers or whatever, but they were like cooking cheeseburgers, you know? And so like, we got to stop and have a cheeseburger in the middle of the night. We're like, man, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> you know, and that's, it was, and that's what and that's adventure cool. racing, right? Like you could be yeah. and nice about adventure racing. That was your first one. We hear it all the time when people talk about it. It's okay to be kind of crummy at it in the beginning. Like the yeah. bar you oh, have to course. jump over yeah. isn't too high. And, yeah. and and I think that's a nice thing about adventure racing is, is that if you're a rank beginner, the, the, the community is rooting for you. Like, yeah. like you never really see, and there's different attitudes and different endurance sports in there. And there's that vibe that goes everywhere. But like when someone shows up at an adventure race and they're, they're taking the compass out of the package, right. And they're, they're, they said it's their yeah. first race. The race director's like, here, yeah. I'll help you out a little bit. Yeah. The race director, time. another competitor, someone's going to come help you. And that's, that's part of the sport. It's part of the community. It's, uh, you know, and I think it was probably back in the day for, you know, I mean, when dad and his buddies did that first eco challenge in utah you know no one knew what they were doing they were out you know full backpacks like you're going on a backpacking trip and stuff did you you remember that dad being out in out in utah you guys were like you and marsh were cr climbing up spires in the desert you know trying yeah, to look for yeah, other teams and stuff we, we didn't know how to how to do anything and we decided that we're going to find up a a big spot and and sit there as long as we can and and see what what we're supposed to do here because <laughs> we knew nothing and uh and pretty soon man me and marshall were in jungles and stuff like that and didn't know where they were what we were doing there either because that's pretty but that's the greatest thing about the sport. That's one, and you really want that to be held on to, right, Mace? Because here you are now. It's the first race. You're sitting around. Uh, I loved in the book, by the way. You mentioned how we're very good at waiting. That's a very good adventure race. <laughs> yeah. And stuck in airports and getting and getting your gear to a race, hanging that's the, out, BSing. Yeah. Yep, that's the hardest part, part of the deal. <laughs> and then and we'll come back to that because I, I laughed out loud about the the the, the, the check-in person at the airport, the per right person to get. We'll come, <laughs> yeah. and, and folks out there, go read the book. Yeah. But Mace, you're spot on. That like you're in a race and you're really you don't know what you're doing, but uh, you'll figure it out. So and all of a sudden, you know, it was Utah those early days and the spires with the bad weather coming in. Yeah. Right. That's the, you know, we have to we have to get Eco Challenge to release those videos because I know that they're all they're being held back copyright wise. The stories from the beginning of the sport are just amazing. Amazing yeah. from how, how rugged it was in the beginning. And it's still rugged today, but back then it was really something else. Yeah, yeah. I know that uh uh we were talking about Adrian Crane, a recent guest who who is a longtime friend of of dad's and, and mine. And uh, uh dad and, and Marshall Oric both say that they would they would still be stuck in a jungle in Borneo, excuse me, on a on a on a muddy hillside that was washing away, if not for Adrian, because uh thankfully Adrian could read the map and knew what was going on and everyone else was just stumbling <laughs> along behind right. him, you know falling in elephant shit and stuff so <laughs> so I, I think i have adrian to thank for for a lot as well you know well, he, he, he saved your father thank god you're yeah. here right exactly, exactly. without adrian you know, yep. no. and not only yep. does adrian have his own episode he's then mentioned in the next one so good job adrian you're yeah. you're, you're, yep. you're, you're now the patron saint of the dark zone <laughs> yep. um and, and, so, and so travis as you as you got deeper and deeper into the sport and and, and what was it like racing alongside in the same atmosphere as your father what what experience was that like growing up yeah i mean it was it was always fun we had a lot of you know really throughout the 2000s and kind of early uh you know 2010s um a lot of races where in uh, adventure races where you know dad and i would both be racing but on different teams or or maybe you know some of the you know local races have solo categories and stuff and i i really enjoyed doing a lot of those you know solo 24 hour races and stuff so um many of those dad would be on a different team or maybe racing solo himself um and and also many of them um dad was crewing for me and and we had you know i i always just i kind of had this feeling that like 
no matter what happens, um, my dad's there and it's going to be okay. You know, not that I, you know, I'd be out in the woods with a map and compass and like, I could still get lost or, right. or hurt or whatever, but just kind of, you know, knowing that, that he was going to be there at the next, uh, you know, TA and, um, and dad was never like a, you know, real hands-on crew member. That's going to like wash your feet or anything like that. Right. You know, dad's view is like, well, I got your gearbox here, you know, <laughs> and now I'm going to go for, go for a run or whatever. Yep, yep. Um, you're, you're, you're safe. There's all your stuff. Good luck, kid. Right. Yeah, go get exactly. But we, you know, we had a lot of fun with, with that. And, and I was, you know, over those years as many, you know, younger whatever, let's say 20 something athletes are, you know, I was very competition oriented. So, you know, I was trying to win on my own or, you know, race with the good team or, or whatever. And so, you know, we were faster than dad and, and his teammates, but having similar experiences, we, um, for a number of years, there were these great stage races in Mexico that were like super competitive and had a lot of good prize money and stuff. And, um, so dad, dad and I went to a bunch of those and, you know, even if you're not racing together on the same team, especially in that stage race format, it's such a fun, a communal experience because you race all day, but then at the end of it, everyone's back there and you're at the hotel or the camp or the, you know, some of these spots in Mexico, I mean, you're sleeping in some like, you know, dusty, like corral or something. So you're, you're in it together and you're having this experience. Um, and, and those were, those were awesome. Yeah. And the idea of, of having that shared experience and then traveling around and doing all of that together and, yeah. and knowing that your father was, was waiting for you down the road means a lot, right? Like I got to go guys. Yeah. My dad, my dad's waiting for us. We got to go. Yeah. We got to go. Yeah. What, yeah. When did you feel as a, as a father son combo that there was a bit of a shift in regards to the racing life? Like for a very long time, like you followed your father around and eventually your father followed you around. Mm -hmm. What was that transfer like between the two of you? Cause it must've been very, it must've been great for Mace to sort of see his son pick up where he, he kind of left off. I know you had your own parallel career, but the yeah. idea of a transference is pretty powerful. Yeah. I, I you know, I mean, even, I, I mean, honestly, like when I was, you know, when I really got into adventure racing right after college, you know, I was already much more competitive. Um, and I had like, I was at a different phase of life, you know, dad right. was still <laughs> working and like, you know, still had my younger sister was still at home, you know, he, he was still uh, like, that was his main thing going on. So, um, you know, there was some, some shift there, but our, but our interests remained, very similar and and probably the fact that we were both into stuff kept us you know like snowshoe racing i mean we've done hundreds of snowshoe running snowshoe races here in colorado in the winter and we you know a lot of the reason we kept going to those is like oh this is a fun thing to do on a on a saturday you know drive up to leadville and run 10k or 20 miles or or whatever on on snowshoes and it, you know i mean honestly for us it was pretty seamless and and i think even you know, for me now, like I'm, I'm 40 and my kids are 10 and 12 and I still like racing. I, I definitely don't do it as much as I used to. I'm not as focused on the podium or the prize money or the sponsorship or whatever as I used to be. And and now my kids are, they, they're playing soccer and you know, they don't have to be athletes. They don't have to be adventure racers or cyclists. I, I want them to do whatever gets them excited. Right. Currently they're both really excited about soccer and like, well, what is it that basically creates my weekend schedule almost all year? It's it's soccer. <laughs> and right. uh, but it's OK. I, I'm glad that I generally feel OK about that. And I can, you know, I can squeeze in, you, you know, I can kind of sh shimmy in my bike rides in between the, <laughs> the soccer games. Well, or, and that's and that's a message for parents. Like, yeah. I work with I work with children for a living outside the podcast. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. the expression is the most important thing you can give your child is attention. Yeah. Right. Yep. And being present. And you had a good example in your father. And now yeah. your father's chance to see you with your own children. Um, and so clearly there's a lot of a lot of uh, a very shared, powerful bond between all of you and your family, which is coming alive as you're as you're managing your father's Alzheimer's. That it clearly in all the in all the years where things were relatively um, uh, that they were more settled in your life. When a challenge like Alzheimer's comes along, you fall back upon those bonds that you built during those times. Do you feel that that's coming alive now for all of you? Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I mean, I think that, you know, we touched on the, you know, the mental training or building resilience or whatever you want to call it that you get from these endurance sports. Absolutely. That comes out when when you face a challenging diagnosis or, or path ahead. And it also, you know, like this is a path that no one would hope for. And there's 
there's also goodness, you know, there's a, there's a new level of love and trust and, um, tenderness and, uh, you know, whether, whether that's me or my mom or my siblings, you know, our spouses, our kids, you know, I mean, dad's get, grandkids get to, um, you know, they get to take a lead and, and, you know, do cool stuff with their, their grandpa in a way that, that they wouldn't through this. You know, we, we got to go to New York city a couple weeks ago and remember that dad, Wyatt and Lilo are holding your hands and walking across the street and, you know, just kind of, there's a lot of chaos and stuff, but you know, when they were with you, we, we all knew it was safe, huh? Yeah, it's good. It's great. The, yeah. um, and it's it's clear that 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 comes across when you read the book how how powerful that is and I I think an important message that comes out of it and it's nice for people to hear is that a, when a, when something challenging comes into your life right so think of adventure racing in the micro and think of life in the macro big picture yep something challenging goes into your life it's not as much about that challenge but the way that you approach that challenge mm-hmm. and it and it sounds like the the lessons you've learned along the way have really kind of helped you tailor that approach because with anything, it's easy. You could throw your hands up and say, this is terrible. This is, this is happening to me, right? As opposed to this is happening for me. And it sounds like that's a a message of the book that you're trying to bring out is that you want to help people adjust their attitude towards these kinds of challenges. Yeah, I think so. Attitude and, and, and then, you know, walking that, uh, that line or, you know, playing the juggle between, what can you control and make a difference in and and what can't you and uh and and knowing you know with something like alzheimer's that's it's so dynamic because there's not a clear answer and it's going to change from day to day and week to week and and month to month i mean i um you know i I tried to be you know pretty vulnerable and raw in, in the book about you know some of the very challenging times i've had myself with this and you know with the initial diagnosis for me there was a lot of just sort of this crazy scrambling and panic, you know, to try to control all, all these things of the, you know, the treatment, the cure, the, the, you know, uh, not to mention the logistical things of, you know, finances and this and that. And, um, you know, I kind of realized like, you know, I'm, I'm like literally driving myself crazy with this and, um, you know, acceptance is a huge piece of it. And, and that's, you know, something we see so much in these racing scenarios that are super dynamic where, okay, this is where we are. This is what's happening. We have to accept it. And what can we do? You know, maybe we can't make it perfect, but what are the little things that we can do that hopefully add up to, to make things, you know, better or, or as good as they can be. And, and that's, uh, you know, that's kind of the dance that, that we've been just and, and, continuing to, you know, to, to play. And there's the example of the, the adventure racing in life again, right? The idea that when you find yourself in a situation and, and, you know, let's recognize the fact that adventure racing is a, it's a, it's a sport. We go and we do it for fun, right? So let's exactly. not make more out of it than yeah. it should be. Yeah. But in an adventure race, if you adventure race enough and if, it doesn't matter if it's a six hour race, six day, whatever it is, there's a really good shot that eventually you'll find yourself in a really crummy position, right? You're, yes. you're, 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 you've, you've, you've broken your, your chain's broken on your bike. The weather's turned terrible on you. It's cold. You're lost, things like that. Yeah. And you have to say yeah, the worst, the worst ones are when you're out in the ocean somewhere and the boat didn't work. And right. <laughs> up and down. That's the bad stuff. Well, that's that right. Like, Your that... boat in, in Borneo broke, right, dad? You guys, they had yeah. to build a raft at the start of it and, and you know, a billy billy or something. And it, it just <laughs> fell apart. Right. <laughs> like an hour into the race, all your stuff floated away into the ocean. And, 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 there, and there's an extreme example of acceptance, right? There goes all exactly. that stuff that goes <laughs> we actually thought it was pretty funny, but <laughs> it was kind of scary, though. Know? <laughs> well, that's adventure racing in a nutshell, right? Kind of scary, kind of funny at the same time, right? <laughs> yep. things, which is why not adventure racers are kind of like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> they don't get it that way. But 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 you're right, whether it be something scary like that, like the fact that Billy Billy came apart in the ocean, ultimately you accept it. It is what it is. And it's the, and it's the ability to accept it that will, will will chart your reaction to it because we both know we all know people who haven't accepted things in their life and it makes them bitter and angry. Not they don't. Not that you can't go through those emotions at times. Yeah. Yeah. But ultimately, you just have to wrap your arms around it and say it is this thing, no matter what it is. And, that, and it yeah. appears that that's what you you convey that in the book, right? That was part of the struggle was accepting your father's diagnosis, the impact on your life, and then going forward from there. You mentioned how. Like you went for that run in the book. You mentioned how you had been kind of living in it a little bit and living with the diagnosis and it kind of washed over you. And you just had to go out and just 
spend some time with yourself to sort of figure it all out. Yeah. 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 And, and I think, you know, one of the ideas I try to convey in the book and just something I'm working through in my own life is, is just embracing a little more nuance and in, in like the, the gray areas in life. I think a lot of us who like, you know, this kind of stuff, you know, go out and race for 10 days in, you know, Scotland or wherever, you know, we're, we're, we're naturally wired for like the all in, right. You know, the, the 300%, like, oh man, you know, if a little bit's good, then, then a whole bunch, oh man, that's, that's yep. real good. And, and, and I'm not saying that's not true. And I'm not saying there's, you know, not a part of me that thrives on that. But what I'm also realizing is it it doesn't have to be 300% or nothing, right? There's a lot of just in every area of life, a lot of this gray area, this nuance, this, you know, being okay with kind of in, kind of out, you know, or, or like, you know, for me, it's not, I don't have to be a full professional athlete or just do nothing, you know, there's, there's a good sweet spot for me at, at this, this point in my life. And, um, you know, for me, that's been a lot of the, the growth. Uh, and if, if I go to a race, like, you know, man, dad and I have done a lot of races together in the last five years and they've been awesome. They've been so like, you know, years ago, it would have been hard for me to like slow down or not compete or whatever, you know, and, and now it's like, oh, there's there's something else here. Like you can you can find a lot uh, by racing your heart out and going for it, you know, whether it's the win or the time or whatever you, you know, whatever you want. You can also find something else by being with the community or going easier or doing a new discipline or, you know, there's there's just there's a lot of in between that I'm starting to discover. It sounds like that. And you got a crash course on that when you were in Eco Challenge Fiji, because exactly. when, when you look yep. in the book and and everybody out there, go get it. It's a, it's a great read. It's a it's a solid, well-written, a lot of adventure racing wisdom and a lot of life wisdom. So definitely it's 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 mile at a time. Definitely worth it. It, it sounds like a, a large portion of what you worked on in, in Fiji is that each stage, 20 percent of the race, 40 percent of the race, 60 percent of the race like that was you realigned your expectations and as, and because you realign those expectations, you enjoyed the experience more. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. You know, and, and we were, you know, these, these long, really hard adventure races, the majority of the teams are are not trying to win and they're looking at the cutoffs and, and man, that's, you know, that was totally our story. And in each of those, you're right. You know, they kind of split that particular race up into you know, five segments. And at the end of each one, you would see the support crew and you get the maps for the next segment, et cetera. Um, and each of those had a cutoff. So yeah, it was like, you know, five little mini races. And, um, you know, when the gun went off, our, our only goal was to try to make it to make it to that first cutoff, you know, what was it? Two and a half or three days away. Right. So, so a large part of the dark zone is, is introducing the sport to the non-racer or the beginner racer. And so yeah. the question for that, most people, when they when they take part in sporting events, they either want to have a super competitive time, possibly win, or an effort in which they can kind of show off their results. And adventure yeah. racing, we kind of turn that on its head a little bit, and we and we talk lower about that. the The effort is the result, as opposed to the the the, the final standing. Why do you think? Why do you think people have a tough time wrapping their heads around that? I know you're a coach; you work with people. Yeah. What is it about adventure racing that draws people into it in which they're comfortable recognizing that it's going to be, and one, this would be a podium spot for everybody, but they go all in, they go all in on it. Mm -hmm. That's a good question. I, I mean, it draws, it draws a wide range of people. And I, I think anyone who makes it to the start of an adventure race, they've already displayed some flexibility and creative thinking and some acceptance of like, everything's not going to be perfect and smooth. Uh, you know, this isn't your road marathon where, you know, every mile is going to be the same pace and there's a cup of water waiting, uh, it, you know, all, all of that sort of stuff. So if, if you've gotten to the point where you're towing the line, you know, you're, you're definitely a long way there. Um, and, and then I think, you know, often if, if people hang on to that really sort of tightly, grasping white knuckle control sort of mindset um 
you know, probably they're not going to finish even, you know, one race or a shorter race just because some something is going to happen. That's like the, you know, um, you, you plan planning is really important. And that's what I do with athletes. I mean, we're planning your feeling and, you know, your pacing and your, your nav and your teamwork, like you plan all that, but like, you know, you can have the best coach in the world or you could be, you know, the, you can be Nathan Fave who's won, you know, whatever 10 world championships. I guarantee, you know, Nathan goes and does a race, something that he hasn't anticipated right. is going to happen. And so the, the people who kind of continue through to get to that first finish line, or maybe to, to toe the line again, whether it's next month or next year or five years later, they're the ones who can kind of um, accept that and 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 maybe even like it. You know, some of us like, you know, there's something about like, boy, it pushes me physically and mentally and creatively and interpersonally. I mean, the for the interpersonal side of adventure racing, that is one of my favorite things. Yeah. I just I Agreed. love that. I You know, yeah. I think I think that life is a team sport and what's a great way to practice for the team sport of life. Well, do do hard things with the team, you know, like humans are social creatures. We're meant to do things like this together. And, and don't we all see time and time again? And, and, and Mace, I'm sure you've experienced to yourself and, and Travis, as you've gone through it, very often we'll see that a, a team with with um, not as strong physical skills but very, very good teamwork skills will have a better experience and a better result than a physically stronger team with rotten teamwork skills. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and if you look at, you know, again, we referred to this, the, the, this Kiwi team, you know, they've been kind of, you know, one of the top two most successful adventure racing teams ever. And and of course they're good athletes who have a lot of experience and stuff, mm-hmm. but you know, if, if you compare them next to the other, you know, elite teams around the world, physically they're not any faster you know individually or uh, whatever but they have the team dynamics they have the experience they know you know they know how to support each other um the good teams you know people will say like oh well you're only as fast as your is your slowest teammate you know the the good teams like they're they're moving faster than the slowest teammate would would move uh by themselves and right. and they're they're you know um, and they're all, they also know like, oh, it's not one person who's like the weak link or something like, you know, in, in a long race, man, everyone has times where you're going to be the strongest mentally or physically or psychologically or, you know, whatever, like all those roles change. And so you got to be uh, prepared for that fluidity. That's another stumbling box sometimes for some teams it would be a, a hierarchical mindset of like, you know, okay. I'm in charge or, or he or she's in charge. And, you know, you, you, then it goes to you and you and like, you know, usually that doesn't work very well when, when things really get dynamic and challenging and people are sleep deprived or like you're, you know, you're lost climbing through deadfall on a hillside in Canada or whatever. Well, that was on display recently. There was a, a team not too long ago in a race that you, when you saw them on the course, it was three people in the front and one person about 20 feet behind. Yeah. And that team, the four of them didn't make it to finish together. Like you could just tell that they're, they weren't sharing that dynamic inside the team itself. And so for the newer racer out there is definitely pay attention to the, the, the teammates that are going on. Also, and you mentioned this too, you mentioned Nathan Fave and, and Avai and his teams. We had a really good example of that recently at Expedition Ozark, where, where mm. Team Ben Racing won. And if you when you watch the video of it, whenever they came into a transition area, they spoke directly to each other. They were very clear in their language. They set a time frame. One person kind of directed everybody else in a very positive way. Yeah. And they got through those transitions quick. And that just yeah. and that kept the team rolling because if you stand around a transition too long, it gets really appealing to be there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Watching the really good and they're a dialed team that's raced all over the yep. world for years. I mean, they have as much experience as anyone. Um, watching a really good team in the transitions can can teach you a lot. And that's a great yep. another as far as someone, hey, maybe you're interested in this sport or, you know, these, what are these guys talking about? Well, try to come to a race, you know, volunteer or hang out or be a, uh, you know, a support crew uh, or something. Even if you don't know anyone, you know, you find a race, send an email to the race director. Hey, I want, I want to volunteer or if yep. the team needs a support crew, um, come do that. And and I tell you what, it, I would say, bring your kids, you know, maybe not infants, but, you know, if you have kids, kids, my kids who are 10 and 12, 
12. Like, you know, they're old enough that they can kind of hang out all day and, you know, <laughs> at least feed themselves and whatever, you know, they would do great crewing for an adventure race. Cause they, you know, they get to see adults doing something uncertain and having highs and lows and, uh, and they get to contribute in authentic ways. Um, that's a great way to, to explore it. If you're thinking about it. Yeah, there are a lot of a lot of racers now. The gateway was I'm going to go check it out. I'm going to go help out working at TA, and also too exactly. when you're working at TA, you see you you see and learn so much. It's fun yep. to see the teams come in. You can see the highs, the lows, how they manage it, yeah. and that's just a learning machine. I think that's a, a really a piece of advice that I once I once heard that a, a really high level team did is that they would try to find one race a year where they would volunteer as a team at that race. Yeah, and then what they would do is they would treat the race as a classroom. And yeah. after the race ended, they would get together, get a cup of coffee at the diner and say, team A did this. That was really good. Team B struggled with that. So to your yeah. point, the the volunteering is being there. And also, too, is adventure racing is a sport that's run on volunteerism. Yeah, yeah. Just, you're contributing you to see. the community. You yeah. see time and, and, and time would, again. You know, just to go back, I said, like, you know, expect fluidity with you, within your team. That doesn't mean that there can't be roles and plans, you know, okay, this person probably is going to be the lead navigator for the whole race or part of the race or, okay, you know, this person has uh, more whitewater experience and, you know, they're going to be the person who's, you know, kind of in charge or, or steering the raft or whatever or you know okay we probably know you know uh that he or she is is you know stronger on their feet maybe they're carrying more weight or more likely to be towing someone else or something you know that's that's all totally fine but but you also you know you need to be flexible and, right. and you need to um one big barrier i see a lot of athletes having especially you know stereotypically male athletes is not being open to accepting help so you know they're struggling or they're overheating they're carrying too much weight they're sick you know whatever and like clearly the team would move faster right now if if that guy wasn't carrying his pack or if he was put on the tow line for a while so he could recover or something like that um you know those you watch the best teams man i i'm telling you Everyone on those teams has been on the tow line, has had, you know, someone else carry their pack or whatever it is. You know, that's that's just that's how to move faster. Let me ask you a question about that, because this occurred to me as I was thinking about that the other day, because the power of having your pack carried for a little bit is very rejuvenating. Being on tow is very rejuvenating. And, and for the newer racer, being on tow literally means you're on tow. There's a, there's yep. a, there's a road Sounds kind of crazy if you've never seen it. Yep. You right. literally have this little bungee cord and you're still it, walking or right. running or biking, but you know, but you someone else is helping you. you. Yeah. And, 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 and I, I, I could, I could understand and relate to the idea that very often with men, the men have a hard time asking for that kind of help. Right. And this is yeah. well, welcome to the male therapy session for the men out there. It is <laughs> yeah. what it is, right? Um, yeah. Do you think there's any benefit to taking the pressure off someone from saying, I need help right now to having a scheduled, in quotes, a scheduled experience where, listen, for every hour, mm -hmm. you're going you're gonna to get your bag up for 10 minutes. Like whether you feel great or you feel terrible, mm -hmm. we're going to take your bag for 10 minutes. Like, And, and guess what? This is, and, and we're going to do a round robin. Once, so once every four hours, everybody gives their bag up for 10, well, they rotate it around you're kind of getting ahead of the, 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 the pressure of carrying all that gear and you're cutting off at the knees, the idea that someone not asking for help. Yeah. I don't know. That might be an interesting strategy for a team. It's to a neat idea. Yeah. I, I, um, you know, I haven't seen or heard of like any highly competitive teams do doing something like that. And usually those teams, you know, the athletes know each other. Well, they know relative strengths and weaknesses. Maybe they can kind of plan on like, Oh, you know, okay. All right. You know, um, this person's going to carry this heavier team gear and this person's going to start with less right. or something. Um, it's an interesting idea. Yeah. Uh, something to try yeah. out because it, it takes that pressure off of asking for help. But yeah. that being said, if you race with the, with the same people long enough and you have really good communication or if you trust each other, it's very easy to say, hey, listen, I'm beat up. Or I'm kind of nuked. Can I give you this? And yes. the psychological yep. act of even taking like your tent out of the bag and hand to somebody else and not having that tent in your bag for 15 or 20 minutes. Yeah. It's amazing how that just yeah. that changes yep. that mindset. This, you yeah. just feel better as a result. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I would, uh, you know, in this, like w when I'm coaching individuals or teams, you know, we're talking about strategy and stuff. We often talk about sleep strategy, especially for the longer races, the expedition races, you know, that are going to be three, four, five, six, seven, maybe even more days. So, so that is one thing personally, I recommend to people plan, plan a sleep strategy, even, uh, even if you're not planning on passing the backpack around or something, 
I think my opinion is just going into a race and we're just going to keep going until everyone is like, you know, yeah. a complete zombie and we fall down to sleep and then we'll sleep for 17 minutes and then we'll do it again. <laughs> um, I don't think that's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I, the, um, you know, we've learned so much more about even with the Alzheimer's journey. I mean, the role of sleep, how important good sleep year after year, day after day that, you know, that like you, your brain isn't just sitting there in sleep like it's it's doing it's it's cleansing. It's doing its most important stuff. And I've had a, I, I always tell my clients like I've had a number of times in races where, you know, let's say you're a few days in and my team's right with another team, you know, and we stop and we lay down and we, you know, sleep under that tree over there or whatever for three or four hours. And then we get up and we start, you know, plodding along again. And then like a few hours later in the other team, they, they just kept going, you know, whatever it was 2 AM and they kept going for the next four hours. And, and then, so, you know, we get going again and let's say it's eight or 9 AM and, and there's that team. Like we literally stopped for four hours and slept and now we're having fun. And we're like, we know each other's name and we can read a map right. and the other team is staggering along with no idea where they are. And they're all pissed at each other and we're going twice as fast. Right. And the, and they knew you slept, right. They left yeah. you and psychologically yeah. it's demoralizing to them because all of a sudden it's like, Oh, we, we, we yeah. didn't, we, we they rested we did and now we're getting caught up and it's it's amazing too with the dot watching which is really changed the yeah. way the <laughs> yep. Yep. there's you actually talk like well so and so has banked four hours yeah and exactly. you say listen that other team's not going to be able to hang in there like they're not going to go day four of a race you're not going to put together another 36 hour run of not sleeping it's just yeah you could try and then and then some of the best navigators and you see it they just they just fall apart yeah they just disintegrate yeah yeah, yeah the brain stops working Yep. And to your credit, yep. that's what makes the sport so great, right? The idea that as all these different factors come together, your sleep, your what about nutrition wise? What do you what do you recommend there? Do you recommend are you a real food guy or are you a bar guy? Like even even Mace, if Mace wants to jump in on mm -hmm. that, like what did you eat back in the day? Well, back in Eco Challenge, you <laughs> probably ate Brontosaurus burgers. But like what <laughs> yeah. do you eat? Like what was but, it there? Whatever it was, it was probably crummy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just calories, right? Good food to <laughs> I remember yeah. dad, like you went to, I, I don't remember eco challenge, but you went to, um, I think it was, I did issue or something. This is this hundred mile <sighs> snowshoe race in Alaska. And, and dad, you had a bunch of Ziploc bags with heavyweight gear in it, which was some, you know, I, who knows what it was, <laughs> some, some, you know, drink mix of the nineties probably that had a lot of carbs and protein in it. <laughs> Whatever it was, it was good. That stuff was <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the original Power Bars, which many listeners will know, that's the last thing you want to try to consume if it's frozen because uh, it's harder than uh, a rock. Um, right. And I, I also remember that back in the day, um, you telling me cashews. Cashews have like the most calories uh, per per weight, which it really is a consideration for for these things. Um, so, uh, yeah, as far as, you know, what do I eat now or what do I recommend? I mean, Brian, I, I think for me, the longer the race gets, the more important it is, uh, to have a more dynamic eating plan with, with more of a variety of, of things, you know, in an adventure race, that's probably mostly solid food of some sort. It may be, you know, products that are produced and come in wrappers, uh, depending on the availability or where you are, it may be gas station food or restaurants or, you know, McDonald's or, uh, you know, uh, canned food. I, I really like, um, you know, cans of like a real hearty soup or chili or like even the kids kind of ravioli sort of things. Um, you know, I like, I like, I tape a, I tape a fork on that and, you know, get the ones with the pop top and then, you know, not really to take with you on a segment, but add a TA, you know, I mean, it doesn't taste great, but it's, it's better than, it's better than having another gel or, or right. something. Um, and eventually you, you stop being hungry. Eventually you're like, Oh, no more food. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, so why did, but also, you know, formulated performance products, you know, the same kind of things. Like if you were doing, you know, a two hour mountain bike race or, you know, even a four hour, let's say a trail marathon or something like that, you, you know, most people would probably be eating 
more of a, you know, quick sugar type things with uh, gels and drink mix and that kind of stuff. Um, Mixing in some of those in long races is good. And, you know, having caffeine options uh, for a lot of people is, is a good fit, whether, whether that's, you know, late at night with, with sleep or, you know, maybe you have to push really hard through something. So, you know, it's a dynamic fuel plan and, and being, being flexible, knowing that you can, these races you can have very significant downs and it could be your stomach or your legs or your blisters or like your shoulders because you've been paddling forever you don't think you can bike anymore and you know you'll go way downhill but you can come back uphill you know and that's true with the fueling as well you can really be in bad shape and you know you nurse it along and do your best maybe get some sleep you know uh, teammates help each other and who knows you could be a lot better in 24 hours and people that was a piece of advice i got in the beginning no matter how you feel it's going to pass yeah, right. That exactly. if, if you're falling apart and, and, and never underestimate the magical example of a little bit of sugar, a little bit of caffeine, a little bit of yeah. sleep. Like you put those three yeah. things together and day four, you're a brand new person. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's true, you know, physically, but also mentally. You can find yourself in a really bad spot, uh, outlook wise, mood wise, uh, you know, attitude and <laughs> just hating life. Well, off, you know, there's various things that contribute, but often that that relates directly to fueling. Like your yeah. brain is out of fuel, and you, and you need to feed it. And if you do, you could actually be <laughs> feeling a lot better. Yeah. Well, that, well, you know, the the old joke, the with they they have Betty White in the commercials, having a Betty White moment, right? And you give her a Snickers bar, and she's a brand new person. With some teammates, you're kind of like, oh, stop, like eat a candy bar and come back in 20 minutes. You're gonna, you're you're fine. Like relax. It's not yeah. all upside down. Off <laughs> yeah. we go. Yep. Um, so, so a, a big entry point for so many listeners to the dark zone was the Eco Challenge Fiji, right? They were we were home during during the pandemic, and and Amazon dropped it on there. It was wildly popular in our community, and it did very well, and people really enjoy it. That was the gateway, and it was, and it's very clear in your book, and you can see in the coverage that they knew right away that they wanted to profile Team Endure. They wanted to profile what you were what you were challenging your father with his diagnosis, his legacy of adventure racing, and all of that, and so. Everybody out there, go catch Eco Challenge Fiji because your your journey is is chronicled very very well. The question I have about that is 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 what didn't what didn't the cameras capture? Like when you sat down, mm. you watch it the first time, and you know it, it can't capture everything, right? It's they only have so much time and is yeah. thousands of hours of footage, and they did a wonderful job honoring you and your father and your teammates. But what what do you think was left out that that was a lesson that you could you could share with the audience? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I mean, one thing they. Um, I had a, a mic around my neck the entire race. Um, and, and, uh, they just, the you know, a lot of that comes across, you know, they, the editing of that, I mean, they had thousands and thousands yeah. of hours of all these people mic'd up for, you know, five or 10 days. Um, you know, some of just, uh, the, you know, whether it's team moments, funny moments, the, the like total, just potty talk sailor mouth humor that <laughs> comes across <laughs> that comes out like when you're out there stumbling along with your friends <laughs> you know um they didn't well, that's, include that's that it's definitely, definitely a little therapeutic right <laughs> oh yeah, yeah it is yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. it's just you know like, it's we're, gonna, we're gonna edit that out we're not gonna share that <laughs> yeah, joke with the world exactly that's, yeah that's, we, we were gonna leave that in fiji <laughs> yeah we were joking that like <laughs> oh man some like you know 22 year old audio engineer in la is gonna have to listen to this and like they are gonna think we are completely completely nuts because of the things that we're that we're talking about and stuff um they didn't cover uh one night dad you remember that night when you kind of had a little bit of confusion and disorientation and you thought we talked about this in the book so people can yeah. mm-hmm. read about it in detail if they want yeah. you remember that dad like you had kind yes, of been thinking yeah, that yes, Danelle yes. was, you know, <laughs> Danelle was running a scheme to like rent out rooms in the school in Fiji and stuff. That was, uh, that was kind of weird, huh, Dad? Yeah, that's, that doesn't have any business with, <laughs> you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> that's, that's, that's just a pure bad bad moment somehow got <laughs> yeah. away from yeah. me. And, and, no, and, right. yeah. and that wasn't even the Alzheimer's, it was just the adventure racing. You were just cranky and mad, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little combo. Yeah, a little bit yeah. of both. No, but the, we've the, had a good ra- laugh about that afterwards. I, I I mean, I, you know, the um, there's so many, you know, to create a TV program like that, they have to make so many big <laughs> and then 
minuscule choices about what to show, what not to show, what kind of story to tell, you know, um, overall, I think they did great. They told a lot of great yeah. stories. You know, they did a good job of, um, you know, the competitive side mixed in with, you know, sort of other, other teams in various spots along the course. Um, they did a really good job. You, you know, one story, yeah. at least on, on our yeah. team that wasn't included in that particular series um was Danelle's story Danelle Ballingy um it, who you know our our teammate and Danelle has been um friends with dad and I you know I mean si since I was a young I don't know probably 12 or 13 when I started doing the snowshoe races with dad um Danelle would have been you know mid 20s and and at that point she was an elite professional athlete snowshoeing uh cycling multi-sport um, sky running, you know, the original Fila sky running series in Europe. I mean, she was super, super top pro athlete. Uh, and then she, um, uh, eventually came into the, you know, the Nike team. So like they're kind of the, the two most successful adventure racing teams ever it was the American team, Nike, that kind of had various names, Nike balance bar. They started as team Vale, and, and, and now like the, you know, the, um, the Kiwi team. And, and there's of course been lots of other really good teams over the years, but, um, anyway, Danelle raced with, with, uh, Mike Closer and Mike Tobin, Ian Adamson, uh, you know, some of these other all-star athletes from that team sort of in the late nineties through the early two thousands. Um, and they, uh, they got second, I believe in Fiji in 2002, um, to, to, uh, I think to Nathan's uh, Kiwi team. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, you know, Danelle did that. And at that time she would have been, I don't know how old she was. She was probably 30 something. Uh, and, and, you know, at the top of her racing game. And, and then uh, a few years later, starting in 2006, uh, Danelle and I started racing together, mostly with um, our teammate and friend Dave Mackey uh, from Boulder, Colorado. And, and we had a good sponsorship from Spider, and we were kind of racing around the world, you know, doing this and that. Uh, and at that time in 2006, Danelle had a, a running accident where she slid off a cliff in Moab out on a training run in a very remote spot and, you know, slid and bumped down this cliff a, a long way and landed on her feet and, and it shattered her pelvis and um, was out there for two days, you know, <laughs> sipping out of this little puddle. She had one little gel with her. She was doing crunches at night to generate heat to stay alive and, you know, literally very close to, to death. And, uh, you know, it's a real life Lassie story. People can look this up. I think it's uh, I think it's an animal animal planet series called um, I shouldn't be alive or something. And they did a, um, one of those dramatic recreations of it, but they did a, a pretty good job and Danelle is on it. Um, and, and Danelle has been interviewed on a number of podcasts. People can look up, look up her name. It, it's spelled D A N E L L E. Um, Danelle Ballinger. And, uh, so anyway, they, um, Danelle battled back, you know, she was in a wheelchair for a long time. Like who knows, can you ever walk or race or, or whatever? Um, you know, and, and she harnessed life and made the most of it and, and, uh, you know, ended up having two kids and running businesses and coaching athletes and, you know, all this, uh, they, here we are almost 20 years later. Uh, but, but for her to come back, you know, she had done some adventure races here and there, but eco challenge Fiji, that it, it was her first like really big race since that accident occurred. Uh, you know, I guess it would have been 13 years prior. So, um, I think that's an incredible story. And she's an incredible teammate. And so is Shane. I mean, Shane, you know, Shane Siegel, people maybe saw him in the production or, or crew guy, uh, Andrew Spears. I mean, I've been on a, so many, I'm so thankful that I've been on so many great teams and, you know, a lot of them pushing for the podium and, you know, supporting each other and digging deep and suffering. And, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. And this team, you know, we, we weren't, you know, pushing super hard or suffering or any, it was, it was different, but our cause in our friendship, I mean, it was incredible. Like dad, we had so much fun out there. You remember that, you know, hanging out with Shane and Danelle and we were joking and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Why can you not joke? <laughs> <laughs> Especially you know, when, it, when it's going bad. I think uh, the, the best thing about, you know, this is, you know, you get it 
if, when you start adventure racing and you start and have a chance to, you know, you can travel all over the world. I've been into places that I can't even say what they are today. I don't know where they are, but but I I got to go to them. And Marshall Ulrich and I, we man, we get on a train or a, fly, a plane and go to some place and don't even know where we are when we get there. And you know, it's just it's a great sport for <laughs> just for that reason and all. It's a it, you get to go everywhere and and you learn a lot and man, it's just great. You're spot on there, Mason. You mentioned it that way. It's just, it's just great, right? And whether it be a, a local six-hour race or whether it be a, a six-day, yeah. ten-day race around the world, um, you're, you're spot on, right? It's the places and the people that really drive the sport. Yeah. yeah. If, if I can add one more shout-out, Brian, or just kind of a follow-up to stories people may have seen or if, if they haven't seen it and you want to watch, you know, the world's toughest race on Amazon Prime, um, is Emma Roca, who um, – was one of my best friends. And I mean, for, okay, you got it in your notes there. Um, And in that documentary, people will see Emma's spirit, which is just positive and contagious and enthusiastic. And, you know, it's coming across to her teammates, to the local people, to anyone who watches it. Um, you know, she she was one of the best athletes in the world in adventure racing and ultra running, you know, um, and, and I got to experience that a lot, a lot of that firsthand as as her friend and as her pacer or crew person in ultra runs. And, um, it, you know, within a year after that race, she was um, was diagnosed with cancer and it got really bad. Um you know, during, during the pandemic and later in the pandemic and, and she passed away in, in 2021. And I, I think she was 47. And, um, I mean, we talk about that in, in the book as well. Um, but I just, you know, I want to give a shout out to Emma. I mean, she made a huge difference to so many of us in this community. Um, and, and to kind of, you know, wrap up the story or at least where it is for now. Um, a few days ago, I, I finally got to see Emma's husband, David, who also is a really good friend of mine, a former adventure racer. He still does bike packing races and, and stuff. You know, he's now in his, in his early fifties. Um, it, you know, he was on a lot of those, uh, the original team buff España, they were sponsored by buff and, you know, they, um, they won the world championship, I think in 2011 ish, um, and, uh, to, uh, so David came to Taos, New Mexico, his, his oldest daughter, Irina is a, a junior in high school. She did a study abroad here this year. So I finally got to see him and, and it was, it was so good to see him. It was, it was incredibly inspiring for me to see his, um, forward looking attitude of resilience and optimism. And, and that doesn't mean it's not exor- ignoring the sadness and, you know, everything, but, but it's looking forward and, and focusing on his kids and the life that they, they have, you know, their, their three children, it, it was really good. And, and that he's, um he's found love and, and that like, it, it made me so happy. So, you know, anyway, I don't know, word out, David's in a good spot. Um, and, and we still love Emma and it's really sad. I mean, I, I think of Emma every single day, there's this, this feature up on uh, Mount Chavano, here in Colorado, it's 14er and it's called the angel of Shavano where the snow kind of forms in, in what looks like an angel. And, you know, I look up there every single day and I, and I think about Emma. It wasn't lost on me that in the book, you, you talked much about your father and your experience with him, but you dedicate so much time to Epa, to Emma that I wrote in my notes, Emma Roca, and I appreciate, I was about to bring it up. And so it was really nice how you, you, you beat me to that. And yeah. if you, and people definitely world selfish race and Amazon prime, Emma's is her attitude. Everything just comes pouring out of her. And it's, it's very inspirational the way that she constantly excited, constantly happy. She realized that this was a gift, that the ability to do these things 
and I'm willing to bet that if she didn't find adventure racing, it was going to be some other part of her life, right? She was going to be the best yeah. at whatever she chose to do. We yeah. were blessed to get her in that community. And yeah. I, I think well, that it was, she was, she did it another, she earned a PhD in her mid forties in biochemistry yeah. and she was a rescue firefighter, you know, and she was a mama three and ultra runner. I mean, <laughs> she brought that, she brought it to everything she yeah. did. And, and and just so, and such a powerful part. And I'm glad that you mentioned her because I think when we when we talk about the people we love who we've lost, we keep them alive, right? That's yeah. what we do here, the, and we we do that, and we and we preserve their memory. So so yes to Emma, and I know that I know that her husband was a, was a guest on on your podcast. I know that he was on and, and he spoke, and and that's a very powerful episode. I'll link that in the show notes. You, you've both been so generous with your time, and I and I don't want to I don't want to prolong it. I'll I'll keep going if anybody knows me. I would go for several more hours, but I don't want to do that to the <laughs> two of you. You have your lives to live. If I, if I, I, I didn't have to pick up a kid from dance class, I, I, I can talk about this stuff all day myself. Well, be careful because you and Adrian Crane are both going to come back on for round two and Mason want you there too. Because um, right. it's adventure racing stories. It's the things that drive us. Um, yeah. And so, and if, so you get a chance, if you get a chance, uh, tell Adrian I said hello to him. I haven't seen him for a while. I absolutely will. I'll make certain he, that you say hello to him. And he was a, a great guest and a lot of fun and just – once again, the stories that are what drive us. Um, yeah. to, to close this out, either of the two of you, what do you want to leave the the adventure racer with? We've we've covered so much inside this hour, which feels like it flew. What do you if if what is the what action do you think that people absolutely have to take? Whether it be on the book with the Alzheimer's diagnosis, whether it be their personal health, their adventure racing. As a result of all of this, what do you want the person listening to this podcast to do next as a result of listening to this and reading your book and following your adventures? What do you well, think, Dan? You know, I, I think I, I'm not sure if this is in the is uh, we haven't said anything about my Alzheimer's. And if I could just a couple of minutes, uh, please, please go ahead. Yeah, you know, everybody knows that Alzheimer's is is a devastating disease, you know, and people are I'm going to I'm going to die. I'm going to it's going to be horrible and and I'll tell you what, I'm I'm happy, I'm happy now. I'm very happy and you know, I got a great family and 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 it's great and I'm not worried. And I think I can beat Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's. And, and I don't know that any else anybody else believes that, but I do. So okay, it's ass if I get a chance. So Well, there you have it, Travis and Mark Mace Macy. Thank you to the two of them for joining the show. Fantastic work on their part. Be sure to check out A Mile at a Time, a father and son's inspiring Alzheimer's journey of love, adventure, and hope. The link is in the show notes. Check it out. Great book. Can't go wrong. Special thanks to our sponsor, VJShoesUSA.com slash the-dark-zone. Check out VJ Shoes for their lightweight and sticky and grippy and wonderfully drainy shoes. Enter code DARKZONE20, all one word, DARKZONE2020, for a $20 discount on your purchase. And thank you again to our charity partner, Ascend Athletics, for all that you bring to young women in Afghanistan and Pakistan. We are proud to support your mission of developing leadership and community service in that part of the world. Listeners, thanks for being here. You have a lot of choice in how you spend your time, and we're grateful that you choose to spend it with the Dark Zone. To help us out, go like our Facebook page and head over to your platform of choice and rate, click, and like. Their algorithm likes that when people pay attention to podcasts. Spread the word. Thanks for being here, and good luck racing, and have fun training.
take a parachute and go There's gonna have to be some danger Take a parachute and jump You're gonna have to take flight If the wind don't catch you, I will, I will you down take your parachute and go take your maybe parachute. come back tomorrow take your parachute i am take to stop parachute. you ever getting sorrow if the winds don't catch you i will i will if the wind's not there i'm here Thank you.